color green. Known for being nice. Famous for being plants. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why the color green is secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May are my guests this week. Adam Todd Brown is the creator, host, proprietor, all-knowing, all-seeing leader of the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network. Jeff May, also on this episode right here, he is a frequent guest and sometimes host on the Unpopular Opinion Network. He has his own podcast titled Jeff Has Cool Friends, and he recently had a run on a Netflix game show. It's called Bullshit. It's hosted by Howie Mandel. Watch Bullshit on Netflix to see Jeff May on Netflix right there. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Canarsie and Lenape peoples. Acknowledge Adam recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielina Wartongva and Keech peoples. Acknowledge Jeff recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielina Wartongva and Keech and Chumash and Fernandinho Tadaviam peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about the color green, which is a patron-chosen topic. Thank you very much to Erica Salazar for supporting this show and for that wonderful suggestion. Also, thanks to a bunch of other patrons for cheerleading it in the polls. It's straightforward, it's fun, and here we go. Please sit back. Or continue to be a Martian, because they're green sometimes and stuff. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. So good to have you back. And of course, I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either of you can start, and I don't know if we touched on it in other color shows, but how do you feel about the color green? I'm envious of it. On theme, yes. I don't get it. He's doing it. That was very on theme face. Yes, correct. (laughs) Beware of the green-eyed monster. I think I look all right in green, but I I don't wear it that much because I don't not a color I work into my wardrobe that often. I honestly feel like Meet the Parents is my biggest reference for green. Oh. Because there's that scene where Robert De Niro tells Ben Stiller that a genius chooses green. And you didn't choose green, did you, Greg? <laughs> and that, for some reason, has always stuck with me. The same reason yellow is my favorite color, because of that book quote. I, I, I f*** with green just because of the suggestion that a genius would pick green. And then I very rarely ever pick green in any circumstances when given a choice. <laughs> I, I had to go to a wedding and I recently had lost a bunch of weight. So all my old dresses look like I was in all my old suit. 
No, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. Your old yeah. dresses don't Woo! fit. Go on. I, my my old dress fits me pretty well. I did do a I did do a Oh, I wore a green dress. I wore a green dress in some of my headshots, my first ever headshots, and I, I absolutely love them. Oh, but, I remember those. Wow. Um, yeah. But I uh, I currently, the only suit I own that fits is like a mint green. It's like a mint green, um, like a linen suit, like a nice little, sum, that nice little summer suit. Get me through the day. I just bought a new suit, and it is a dark, dark, dark green, and it's wool. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Ooh, good. It's summertime. Good time for a wool suit. <laughs> it hasn't come yet. So yeah, hopefully hopefully it Hope arrives when... It's a good six-month wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just wear it in New York City in August. I'll sweat everything out of my body in a minute. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're ever like trying to make weight in a fight, don't bother with a sauna suit. Get a nice little wool suit. <laughs> Start running laps in that baby. Me and Chet Wild went to where they filmed Field of Dreams in Iowa. Yeah. It's in Dyersville, Iowa. Iowa. And there's there's a guy there. He's like a guide and he will show you around which I mean it's a baseball diamond with corn in the outfield. There's not a lot to see, but he wears like an authentic Chicago White Sox uniform from the 1920s. He's just like, "Ah, oh, over there. It's, oh, it's a corn hush." Oh, it's God. like, oh God, it's so. Oh, don't let me drink water. I have to drink tonics. There is no <laughs> way you're getting paid enough to do this. And over there, you can see the heat stroke paddock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the past, I feel like, at least in like Europe and North America that's colonized, like all clothes were heavy and no water was drinkable. Like, how did anyone live through the summer at all? Yeah, yeah. I think about that a lot when you see like, uh, like Mennonites or something. I'm like, you guys got shorts, right? <laughs> Make shorts out of that stuff. Is that not, is that not with God? Cause buddy, yeah, it's going to be warm. It's like, we're going to do a bond raising and then six of us are going to die. It's like the walking dead. <laughs> well, and, uh, and yeah, I guess green is none of our favorite color, right? I think we've covered that on other ones, uh, but I, I like it a lot. And we have one uh, one wall of our apartment is green, and it was that way before we moved in, and it pretty much convinced us to pick the place. I, I like having it around. Well, that's what sold you, a green wall. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and after we signed up, we were like, in, in hindsight, you could just paint your wall after you move in. But, you know, at the time, it, it was a real hook, yeah. It's literally one can of paint. <laughs> yeah. That's all it would take. Well, I, I feel like apartments aren't usually keen on that, like letting you just turn one wall a different color. But I guess I guess I've never asked. I don't I don't have the the gumption. You have to paint it back. Yeah, that's who cares. Yeah, yeah, just do whatever you want. Yeah, take that wall out. Are you kidding? That's not even a load bearing wall. Yeah, not even if it is. Let the other <laughs> units bear that load. Yeah, live moss. <laughs> <laughs> the slogan of Taco Bell or blowing a wall out of your apartment out that you don't own. Yeah, live moss. <laughs> Well, we got, a, we got a bunch of stuff here. We can get into it. And on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. I think this I week, uh, two. Green, it's uh, two colors mixed. Blue and yellow. That's the show. <laughs> Shut up, Jeff. That's a wrap. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and, uh, this week, that's in a segment called One Step. Ah, ah, ah. 
Tustats. A, 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 A. And uh, that name was submitted by Tori Terrell. Thank you, Tori. We have a new name for this segment every week. Please make it as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SipPod on Twitter or to SipPod at gmail.com. What level do I have to join at to get you to wear a 1920s baseball uniform when you <laughs> do this? I, th- I think the level is mail it to me. Yeah. And then I like... <laughs> to find out why heat stroke is secretly incredibly fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, I tape in a relatively hot room too. Like I nice. th- it would really, it would really Perfect. be that Dyersville experience, Dyersville, Iowa. And you're a White Sox fan, so I am. Yeah, and a gambling addict. Right, right, <laughs> right. And you love corn, the band <clears throat> and the food. <clears throat> they were the official band of the 1903 Chicago White Sox. Yeah, <laughs> they also played that Dyersville show we did. They love corn so much they flip the sea around in Chicago. Like they're just, oh, we gotta be like them. I don't know, some way. I I would love that. Yeah, you see a nice game of the Chicago Corn Sox coming in <laughs> out of Bakersfield, Chicago. Well, uh, there's a lot of years in the numbers here, and the first one is 1918. And 1918 is the year when Marcus Garvey unveiled the Pan African flag. And there's, there's an entire 99% Invisible episode about this, so I'm just going to touch on it fast. Garvey created a flag with three colors on it. The red bar stood for blood spilled to defend Africa. The black bar stood for black people. And the green bar stood for the lushness of the African continent. It was an effort to make one flag for all black people and all African people in the world. And to this day, you see it at events and places centering black American people in particular. That's good. We just covered the Spike Lee film Bamboozled on a Unpops podcast called Pod 6. Yeah. And there's a scene in that where most deaf basically chides Jada Pinkett Smith for getting the order of those colors wrong. Because she says something like black, red, and green. And he goes, it's red, black, and green. Even white people know that. (laughs) And you know what? I agree. I think white people do know the order of that. If you listen to enough late 80s, early 90s rap music, that flag and those colors in particular come up a lot, like all the time. Cool. Sometimes includes yellow, too, for the sun. Oh, interesting. Okay. And also these these colors, the flag was not just influential on black American people because as 99% Visible talks about... They ended up getting adopted by several countries in Africa who became independent after getting out from under the thumb of European colonialists. And so countries such as Kenya have a flag that is red and black and green. So it's a really influential color scheme. You know what else is an influential color scheme? The red, white, and blue. (laughs) France. Yeah. Yeah. Sketch. Yeah. And the the next number here, there's a set of years, 1936 to 1966. 36 to 66 is the publication years for the Negro Motorist Green Book. And so the Smithsonian has a huge online exhibit all about this. Uh, In the time of segregation in the United States, uh, which theoretically ended with the 1964 Civil Rights Act, but has still persisted in some ways. But in that time, it was, among many terrible things, it was hard for black Americans to drive around the country. 
And so the Green Book listed businesses that would serve African-Americans that would not be cruel to African-Americans. And it was called the Green Book because it was published by a black American postman named Victor Green. So in this case, it was just coincidentally his last name is Green. And then they decided to make it Green. That was made uh, famous or made more famous, I guess, in uh, Lovecraft Country. Cool. Yeah, that makes um, sense. On HBO, that was uh, one of the characters. That's what he did is he worked for... I believe the green book and this book, they, they basically stopped publishing it as soon as segregation was off the books legally. But, uh, but yeah, they, this guy's name was green. They printed it green. They probably should have kept going. They probably could (laughs) have, they could keep going like now. Yeah. Yeah. And next number here, another year, 1972, 1972 is the year when Greenpeace adopted its name. So a whole nother organization. It wasn't okay. always called Greenpeace because they, they started before 72. According to the CBC, Greenpeace began as a Canadian activist group opposed to U.S. nuclear testing in Alaska, in particular on Amchika Island, which was a refuge for sea otters. And so they did stuff like interrupting the border crossing and sailing a boat to the island so no one could explode a nuke there. And the group started in 1969. It was called the Don't Make a Wave Committee. And then from there, they later... Arguably a terrible name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they upgraded the name to Greenpeace in 1972. That's some good branding. And I'm glad I'm glad you brought one in that's not just like uncomfortably racial, where I can just... <laughs> or I can be like, oh, you can make fun of these guys, though, right? Get yeah. these. <laughs> Get Reagan to take care of these guys, man. <laughs> Yeah, the first two numbers were very black. This is not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm not against, mind you. I'm just being oh, like, well, it's, a sounded, it's, it's a comedy podcast, right? It sounded like you were, though. It sounded well, like you were just lodging a complaint about. We're, we're distant enough that I can make the 1918 reference. I was going to make a like, oh, so when the Red Sox won the World Series. <laughs> and then I was like, that's not oh, going to okay. be. That's that not the an thing. appropriate thing oh. to bring up at this specific point in time. But <laughs> tragedy in time comedy is back (laughs) and racially speaking the red sox the most racist baseball team in history as far as uh segregation goes they they? didn't they didn't integrate until like 1969 (laughs) yeah i believe they were the last one with pumpsy green oh it was pumpsy green that was the name of the first black player for the red sox his name was pumpsy green this intersects wow yeah oh my god oh no I also I think we primed you for baseball with all the Dyersville, Iowa Black Sox talk too. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm always thinking about racism in the Red Sox. Those two things are all, but not in the classic Red Sox fan way of doing a racism. <laughs> Man, I can't believe his name was Green. It's amazing. Uh, with a uh, with Greenpeace, they're also part of a wider thing. We'll, we'll only touch on it a little bit with this show, but there's a book called The Secret Lives of Color by Cassia St. Clair. It's been very helpful for every color episode you, of this podcast. You may podcast. have mentioned Please it once it or twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she, she brings up an idea, which is that the 1970s is when we started like labeling environmental things as green. It, it really only comes from then. And she points to Greenpeace as one landmark of that. Also, Britain, Germany, New Zealand, and the Australian state of Tasmania formed their first green parties in the 1970s. Isn't it also why they uh, all of the 70s appliances were avocado green? Could be related. Yeah. <laughs> Big green time. We had, my grandparents had avocado green 
all over the all over the kitchen. Everything was greenish. Should bring that back. Right. Yeah, right. Because there's a yellow tone in there, right? Like it's a yellowish green. Well, I always think of it as like that, like sort of like that kind of muddish green, like that avocado-y. Yeah, there were the yellow ones too. I think my grandparents had the the more the yellower version. Oh yeah, like the ochre. Yeah. What were we doing? What was going on? <laughs> we all 70s, make mistakes. Eighties. Yeah, not me, but <laughs> no, you, you exclusively. Yeah, do. some people did. People did before me. And and green as a green as a color connected to nature is a long running thing. Uh, Cassius Sinclair points out that the ancient Egyptian hieroglyph that meant the color green was a picture of a papyrus stalk. Like it's that old because people just noticed that a bunch of plants are green. But like describing something as green or like that green New Deal sense is only about fifty years old. Chlorophyll. <laughs> hey, guys, we'll see you later. Jeff, uh, Jeff raised his hand partway through that sentence so he could say chlorophyll. I honestly, th- I, I had a flashback and I thought you were going to ask me, and do we know why nature is considered green? And then I was going to say that and you're going to be like, that is wrong. Get out of my classroom, you absolute dunce. Right. Because that was the other thing I heard as a kid. Leaves. Adam was correct. Jeff was incorrect. Yeah. Photosynthesis. Yeah. Adam, two for two. Grasshoppers. Jeff, O for 1,000. The drink. Uh, completely wrong. Ah! <laughs> I'm batting O. <laughs> and next number, yet another year, but this is 1964. 1964 is the year when Desilu Productions filmed the first failed pilot for Star Trek. The TV show Star Trek. It was called The Cage, and it featured the first of many green women in the Star Trek franchise. Yeah. It's a stretch. This number was a stretch for you, huh? <laughs> I do like that you're cheating with the numbers, though, because they're all dates. It's a, it's a little calendar of green, you know? Yeah. It's a little, uh, a little history calendar. of green. Why, yeah. why are you being this way, Jeff? I'm, uh, I'm difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know what what? I'm sa- that's what I'm asking, is why. I'm new to this. I'm a rookie. You could say I'm... Green? Oh, <laughs> come on. Oh, God. Uh, give me a TV show. No, absolutely no, there's not. There's no producers in my apartment. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I, I love I, I love that uh, that Lucy was like, just like, we got to make Star Trek. Yeah. Lucille Ball. She was like, me and Jazzy are going to make what was at the time one of the most expensive TV shows ever made. Uh, we're going to go for it. Famous, famous, untouchable communist. Friggin rules. Nah. Now we're getting into the color red. Am I right? Hey. Because hey, hey, right? hey. of her hair. I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. That's why her hair um, was red. <laughs> All those communist secrets. Yeah. That's how hardcore of it. She was blonde before she took up communism. Yeah. She stole a sickle and a hammer in that hairstyle. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so heavy. Uh, <laughs> she's always falling over. Uh, she looks like a mascot <laughs> walking around. <laughs> Just eating the chocolates to stabilize yourself. Like, this will balance me. Okay, okay. <laughs> the Green Monster, Red Sox. I did it again. Oh! Dang. I did it again. Dang. That is, I, I do associate green with Boston sports. Like, we we had a waiter the other day, and I was like, he's from Boston, because I could see his Boston Celtics t-shirt that he was waiting tables in, for some reason, from like a long way away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was during the finals, I'm guessing. 
Oddly, no. It was like late in the season, but not not the key time. He just liked the Celtics a lot in New York City. The, the best part about going out to eat in Boston is even at the nice places you can see they're wearing their like their white shirt with the tie, but then you can clearly see like the Celtics or Bruins logo through the shirt on whatever shirt they're wearing as their undershirt. And you're yeah. just like, man, you didn't even look in a mirror before you stepped out, did you? You could see Jeter on your chest right there <laughs> what, uh, and with with the star trek thing like I, I think the green women are a famous trope of it and it's in the canon it's a race of green humanoids called orions in the original series it's mostly like dancing slave girls and then later series introduced non-slave orions low star trek lower decks has a main character who's an orion that is not like erotic mainly but it was it was a oh, weird like still dancing though right i mean everybody dances yeah, but in a non-erotic fashion yeah yeah just like that but just like hitting the steps, safety dance like yeah not, crumps yeah yeah <laughs> like competitive dancing like the jabberwockies <laughs> <laughs> like hundreds of years in the future they're like one of the main cultural things for humanity is the jabberwockies for sure (laughs) they deserve it they are they stuck with it yeah that's what star trek 4 was about wasn't it (laughs) the jabberwockies just chucking jabberwockies into the ocean outside san francisco like the aliens are happy now (laughs) the voyage to the jabberwockies (laughs) There's a it turns out there's also an interesting like origin story of getting a green woman onto Star Trek, which is that it was a difficult production thing because the production team, they did makeup tests. They used Gene Roddenberry's future wife, Majel Barrett. They put green makeup on her, filmed it, checked if it looked green on camera. But the first test came back from post-production. She just looked white again. Then they did two more tests, more and more makeup. She kept looking white when it came back. And then the two departments finally talked to each other, and it turns out post-production thought it was some kind of mistake in the filming. And so post-production was like laboriously color-changing the footage to make her look pale again. And then they were dumping more makeup on her, and then they were undoing it again. It was a whole snafu. It was like, that was the Cold War. That was just basically a metaphor for the Cold War. I would like to say that Major Barrett, uh, yes, a dancing girl, also famously two other Star Trek characters in the voice of the computer, as well as Deanna Troy's mother, Loxana Troy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say that. <laughs> you weren't. Prove it. It's uh, hard to prove. I did. <laughs> just now. Mike Greenwell played for the Boston Red Sox. Bam! Green River Killer. Played for the Red Sox. (laughs) That was his name on the jersey, too. Green River Killer, yeah. Well, Green Monster was taken. (laughs) It's fun. It's a fun riffs. We're not it does make sense though that you would associate green with like Boston sports teams, primarily just because we're a filthy Irish city. Yeah. And so, like, all of our third jerseys roll out. It's like, and this is a leprechaun jersey. Yeah. You, <laughs> like even, you even kind of see that with Chicago teams. Like, we I do, know yeah. the White Sox have at some points done green jerseys. Like, Chicago dyes a river green. Big time, yeah. On yeah. St. Patrick's Yet it day. can't be blue any other time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes from brown to green. It's great. 
it's a dark canvas they're working on yeah uh, and actually yeah and the whole bonus show will be about the irish and ireland so we'll talk all about that gross <laughs> get out of here but there's there's one more number here the number is 20 and 20 is the number of years it took for the Statue of Liberty to turn green. Because of how copper oxidizes, right? Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I knew that, actually. Yay, good for me. <laughs> and then it played for the Red Sox. Bam. Got him. <laughs> Another connection. What if, what if the Statue of Liberty was like Johnny Damon, like it was in Boston and then it got signed away and it was a whole, a whole argument? Honestly, France <laughs> should take it back right now. Yeah, fair. Yeah. France is just like, they lost their privileges. We're going to go wash her up because they were supposed to keep her clean. <laughs> God, how insulted must the French have been when they were like, that? we made that thing gorgeous copper for you. <laughs> All you had to do was give it a wipe down once every 20 years. Right. <laughs> I mean, we renovated it in like 86. Yeah, but that's just so the Ghostbusters could walk it down downtown to break into that giant museum that had all this pink sludge around it. Yeah, that's that true. was why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should have cleaned it when Old Copperfield made it disappear. Yeah, Greenfield would, would have been a good time. Better name. He's awesome. That's why he did it. He's related to the. He's related to the Statue <laughs> of Liberty. He just asked a favor. Connected hey, dots. Do this. Can you just like his cousin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the National Park Service says the Statue of Liberty, it is made of copper. The copper is only 2.4 millimeters thick, which is about the width of two pennies stacked together. So really thin. And according to the New Yorker, it's unusually pure copper. It was donated by a copper mining magnate named Pierre Eugène Secretan, who got it from one of his copper mines off of the coast of Norway. Ooh. We all do this. We know? should... We should take all the copper from the Statue of Liberty like it's copper pipes from an abandoned house. We should, and then we should try to sell it. Yeah. Just try to recycle the Statue of Liberty's copper. It's not a bad idea. Just scrape a little off at a time. Yeah. Walk up right. with No, I think you it. should just like clearly have to chop up all of the copper and bring it in. So it's, it's like that's clearly the Statue of Liberty. Like, why is it an eye? Why did you get an eye of Shouldn't it be wire or something? What's going on? And also the the oxidation, apparently it doesn't damage it. Like it's not like when iron oxidizes and it's rust. In 1886, they unveil it. By 1906, it was covered in this green patina. And the National Park Service says today the oxidation is as thick as that copper in a lot of places. And it's actually protecting it from more impact from the elements. That's a lie, like it's right? It's weirdly positive. So, so they're lying so they don't have to do any work. <laughs> you know, it's actually good that we let this get filthy. Really cool. Yeah. I mean, not washing be, a spoon for 20 years. It would be quite an endeavor to clean the Statue of Liberty all the time yeah. to keep but it at from least oxidizing. Would, but at least people would be mad about it. Yeah. Well, people would be mad that it was like the the sun like glimmering off of it would bother people i like, like that yeah I, anytime yeah, you could wow. blind new yorkers i'm happy <laughs> that is that's a stance just like many people from boston have blinded new york yankees fans <laughs> red sox 
Yeah, well, I feel like it would really be going after everybody on the Staten Island Ferry. <laughs> like, it would just keep crashing because the pilot can't see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you hit an iceberg? No, that's uh, just an island, just minding its own business. Big, gleaming <laughs> copper statue. Yeah, right. That close to the airport. Oh, people would die. How many laser pointers would be pointed at that son of a <laughs> all day? <laughs> Well, and this uh, this thing that copper does very readily, it's also, it turns out it's one of the first ways that we got green pigments in art, because um, one of the first common pigments for green painting was called verdigris, and that, that name means like green from Greece in French, but it's a thing that you can do anywhere. It involved putting copper into a pot with lye and with vinegar, and then you seal that, leave it alone for two weeks, and it oxidizes so much that you get... An oxidation that you can scrape off and turn into a powder and then a pigment from there. So copper kind of generated some of the first green paint. Pass. (laughs) (laughs) So we could, like, make some pigment out of this statue and then fence it for scrap, you know? A lot of of ways to go. We could do that. Two businesses. I am low on pigment. Do some. (laughs) And, uh, And that leads us into one of two takeaways for the main show. First one is takeaway number one. One of the most popular green pigments of all time caused a wave of deaths. Turned out it had arsenic in it, and it uh, killed a bunch of people. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. Classic green. <laughs> what was it on? Was it like... It was actually just a Crayola jungle green crayon. <laughs> just a swatch of green that they were chucking at people. It was the two, the two main things it was on were wallpaper and fake flowers. Oh. And so it was kind of in especially richer people's environment all the time. And then they would either slowly or quickly die of it. Yeah. Oh. I'm not mad about that. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Sounds like that's how the revolution could have started. Yeah, just get some, let's get some wallpaper in these rich people's houses. Yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk to invest in pigment. <laughs> but, uh, and the key source here is The Secret Lives of Color by Cassia St. Clair, and then also that? a piece by, <laughs> and then also a piece for the Paris Review by Katie Kelleher. Those are the two here. But the, the pigment is called Shayla's Green. That's spelled S C H E E L E, is the last name. A Swedish scientist named Carl William Shayla came up with it. That, that's like just being named like Dr. Ron Cancer. like that's not what you want to be (laughs) he's like look what i've invented a color that murders the wealthy i'm gonna pretend that he's a southern lawyer southern part of sweden sure yeah Yeah. sure yeah (laughs) that's my swedish accent actually well hello there i'm from stockholm of course (laughs) senator and, uh, and yeah, and Shayla, he was a scientist who was trying to make money inventing color pigments. And unfortunately, the first one he invented was a new yellow, and it got stolen from him by a British company. So it's now known as Turner's Patent Yellow, because they, like, stole the information, patented it before he could, and he got screwed over. Man, no wonder he made it that green. He probably sent them a bunch of it. I hope- you guys should try this. <laughs> I hope they're the ones that called it Turner's Patent Yellow. They called it Dibs Yellow. (laughs) Snooze, you lose yellow. 
Yeah, and he what happened next is he next developed this green pigment. He made it by heating sodium carbonate, mixing that with copper, and mixing it with arsenic oxide. Arsenic, highly poisonous to humans. That was the problem. <laughs> um, and we and did he, not know that at that point? That was his villain origin story. <laughs> it's tough because like, he develops this 1775, and as early as 1777, he writes a letter to a friend where he worries about whether he should tell people that this has arsenic in it because that's poisonous. Like <laughs> he, was, he was pretty aware. But also, apparent Cassia St. Clair says in that same letter, his main concern was, will someone else get the credit for coming up with this? And will I get screwed again? I mean, so he, he, was, got, he got burnt the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's his secret ingredient. Like, he's probably a bad person for putting it out at all. And also, he was driven by, like, this feeling of, I can't have this happen twice. I just need to get this out there, get my name on it clearly yeah. so I can make money. That's just being like, I'm not going to get my next idea for a roller coaster stolen. I'm just going to get it out immediately <laughs> during the beta. Yeah, I'm glad he got his yellow stolen. Sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Although yeah, yellow, I actually know expert. because that uh, that kind of leads to people dying. So never mind. Jeff <laughs> is glad he got his yellow stolen. I mean, wow, Jeff is wrong. Wow. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I stand by what I said. <laughs> if his yellow had never gotten stolen he might not have made that green though so how many more rich people would have lived longer to do awful things yeah oh, that's a good point this this mainly impacted british people as far as i can tell so oh no not you know. the british <laughs> not the wealthy british what have they done wrong show me on a map where they've hurt anybody <laughs> Next thing here is a big trumpet sound for a big takeaway. Before that, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet. And try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. And this Shayla's Green, it starts out somewhat popular and then grows and grows and really peaks in the mid-1800s. 
And once it hits its popularity peak, there starts to be a wave of people dying of it. And like I said, two industries really leaned on it. One was wallpaper and people in British cities in particular love this wallpaper because it felt like a taste of nature, like a green room in your house. It's, oh, I'm I'm not in the, the horrible, smoggy London area I am. That's green. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Feels getting good. black lung. I'm getting green lung. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and And also, I guess part of why it took people some time to figure out that this was dangerous is that so much of the rest of the chemicals in life were dangerous in the mid 1800s like kind of everything was killing you including this yeah there's still just like trash in the streets at this point like the arsenic wallpaper like you're probably lucky if you die that way (laughs) probably at the end of the day you look into it enough it's probably some really peaceful rich person way to die everyone else is getting typhoid out in the streets or something ugh Oh, I just looked up Shayla's green. Uh, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. It's an awful green. It's yeah, it's it's like, OK, it's pretty bright. So people like it's it. peas. It's the color of peas, which. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. A delicious meal. <laughs> accent, a delicious meal accent. I wouldn't say peas or a meal. Unless you're a baby. You got to paint, paint your you're house with baby. some Gerber. Non-toxic and delicious. It would be funny if you were like, Shayla's green. Yeah, the things they did it mostly was for wallpaper and a, uh, a fish glaze. Oh, right. And it makes a little rosemary in there. Just some Dr. Seuss food going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when, and this was so much of the wallpaper in Britain at one point. Apparently by 1858, it was estimated there were about 100 square miles worth of it in British homes, hotels, hospitals, and railway waiting rooms. And the Times of London estimated that in 1863, they were producing between 500 and 700 tons of it per year, just in the UK. Uh, The British loved this stuff. Uh, And also, apparently, the author Charles Dickens uh, visited Italy, saw Shayla's green on a wall, and came home and tried to make all of the wallpaper in his entire house that color. And his wife turned it down. Otherwise, he probably would have, like, died sooner uh, for making that mistake. (laughs) And this guy who made it at no point when it was selling the way it was just came forward and was like, hey, wait, we need to talk about what's in that. There's arsenic in it. I think he was hoping to die. Yeah. Yeah, he, the, Shayla died in 1786. So he was actually dead before it really, really took off and escaped liability, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Did he die from arsenic poisoning? Totally possible because he only lived into his 40s. So sure. Yeah. (laughs) Lucky (laughs) son of a. I believe it. Like, that's probably what happened. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds about right. But also, that was probably like the life expectancy back then. It's like the worst version of the Marie Curie. Uh, death. <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, did you change the world? It's like, oh no, you just made, <laughs> made a paint for bad people. Cool. <laughs> I love that Charles Dick. Like, how cool must it have been to live back in those days when the most fascinating things were like a new color? Yeah. <laughs> like mind-boggling. Yeah. Boy Jove, mate. I don't know what that accent was. <laughs> Are they still doing that? Are there still people out there trying to invent new colors? There, yeah, there's one called like Vanta Black that's kind of like that. And then in the 60s, there's a painter named Yves Klein came up with his own blue. It, it's sort of an art world kind of thing, but 
especially mm. with digital stuff, we can just generate any color without like crashing up any <laughs> shells or, or, you know, the old yeah. ways they used to do it. So it's a chiller situation. Now. Yeah, let's make a new color. And with the with this green that is now not really used because of the deaths, the other industry really using it was the fake flower industry of the mid 1800s. And this is where the particularly grim deaths happen. There was uh, the most famous one was a girl named Matilda Schurer, who worked as an artificial flower maker for 18 months. She died at age 19 and doctors found inhaled arsenic throughout her body. Apparently her vomit was a green color like this. This is what got the headlines and convinced people to say, hey, we've had this color for like 100 years and it's probably poison. So let's stop doing it. Let's just find any other way. I like that they just recreated the color now and you can just get it as like a safe paint at like bare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally fine now. Yeah, it's uh, the exact same shade. Because it, it was like it was this industry where like a bunch of underpaid people, often children, would like put this green powder on leaves and stems and, and also like fake fruits that are that color. Apparently another child died of trying to eat fake grapes that were dusted with it you know like this was this was just it's the absolute worst 1800s labor stuff you can imagine happened yeah. around this color and making it and this was to the british you say the british yeah i'm gonna need to check some facts here hold on let me google something real quick <laughs> <laughs> other bad stuff too and and also like apparently that it took this terrible crisis and a separate arsenic crisis to get british people to actually worry about it in 1858 there was a peppermint maker in bradford who mistook a package of powdered white arsenic for sugar and so then they just made a huge poisonous batch of peppermints and killed a bunch of people oh and, holy no. and like then british people said maybe let's start having some laws about arsenic and things around there's us. gotta be a i i agree but there also has to be a slight middle ground of like well you're either <laughs> accidentally using this or or you're creating poison tablets for children <laughs> right they were talking about it in sweden yeah <laughs> it's talking about that. but uh and yeah and then there was never a actual law against shayla's green but people developed other color fast dyes that were a similar color and then just moved on. And so yeah. that's where it went. That's what it's called non-murder green. Yeah. Yeah. Safety green. Pumpsy green. Green monster. <laughs> Go Red Sox. Now we're talking. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the one other Shayla's green story is sort of true, sort of a myth. But there's a, a, a rumor that this color killed Napoleon. Because in the 1980s, there was uh, somebody took a sample of Napoleon's hair. He lived hair. that long. <laughs> he <laughs> there was somebody who took a sample of Napoleon's hair in the 1980s, found arsenic in it, and then people said, "Oh well, why would there be a bunch of arsenic in Napoleon's hair?" And then an analysis of the walls of his bedroom on Saint Helena in his final exile, it was Shayla's green walls. There was a bunch of arsenic in the walls. And he used um, to lick them Wonka style. Yeah. <laughs> Snozberry. That's what that tastes like. That's what that shade of green tastes like. The death berries <laughs> taste like death berries. <laughs> <laughs> Something about Napoleon bringing children to his factory. I don't know. Like, it's all cannons and stuff. It's yeah. all like, why are there kids <laughs> but here? But all the cannons are edible. <laughs> Chocolate cannons. 
<laughs> rule to go to like like Willy Wonka's Raytheon factory. <laughs> yeah. and he's just taking bites out of like B two bombers and, and they're made. Oh, these are made of licorice. <laughs> Which of the awful. children is bloodthirsty enough to inherit my factory? And like, <laughs> there's one really villain kid. Like, they get it. Yeah, this tiny little evil Dick Cheney looking like a little penguin running around. <laughs> Pushing kids into the river. That's our guy. That's our guy. <laughs> well, and, uh, and so so Napoleon, he died age 51. His walls were full of arsenic. There were rumors the British were always trying to like slowly kill him off there. However, if those walls contributed to it, it's probably still not the main reason he died. Because in 2008, the Italian National Institute of Nuclear Physics... Had him assassinated. Yeah. <laughs> They, uh, they decided, hey, let's do further study of this. So they analyzed hair samples from other periods of Napoleon's life, like across his life, because apparently a lot of people have his hair. And they found high levels of arsenic in basically all the hair. And so it turns all out... All arsenic all the time, baby. Yeah. Uh, basically, <laughs> he lived in the late 1700s and early 1800s when everything was poison. And so the Shayla's green walls in his last home, they made, might have sped up his death, but not by a lot. He was just getting poisoned throughout his life. Good times. Yeah. Just, he earned just it. microdosing death. <laughs> yes. And I'm yeah, it's it. like, like having mold in your bathroom or something. It's going to slowly kill you. Or like eating at Jack in the Box every day. Yeah. <laughs> After every Dodgers win, he'd bring the coupon and, you know, yeah. <laughs> Get them loaded fries. Well, and, uh, and there's one other takeaway for the main episode here. Let's get into it. Takeaway number two. Some modern languages do not have a specific word for green. Turns out there's some like pretty popular languages spoken by millions of people where there's not one specific word for the color green. And that's Define popular. Uh, not American. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what one of them? I think the biggest one is probably Pashto, which is spoken by like fifty million people, uh, and another one is Vietnamese, spoken by people there and elsewhere. Never heard of it, but uh, like it's surprising. It turns out, uh, like languages will really vary in their amount of words for colors. And the key source here is a piece from theconversation.com by Ted Gibson, who's a professor of cognitive science at MIT. And Bevel R. Conway, who's a cognition researcher for the U.S. National Institutes of Health. I would like to add MIT right next to Fenway Park. Yep. <laughs> That's true. It's not, it's not right next to it, but it's close enough. It's in Fenway Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the stands. Yeah. It's just a kiosk. People don't realize an, that. They get a lot get done. Engineering degree and a pretzel. <laughs> Like like a raffle winner in one section attends MIT. Like, yeah. oh, okay, hey, cool. <laughs> no, they just get the master's degree right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Coors Light MIT seat of the game. <laughs> Congratulations, Dr. Sean Shawnee Sullivan. <laughs> ah, look at me, hey. I'm a freaking rocket scientist now, kid. Drive me up to NASA. <laughs> Also, Jack in the Box, 1993, <laughs> deadly E. coli outbreak. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to stop 
eating there. I don't eat there. Nobody eats there. Yeah. That <laughs> place is the only box. place that exists as a joke. Yeah. They're just hanging on till they can sell weed. That's all. <laughs> when, yeah. The nug box is going to happen <laughs> sooner than we think. They want to sell weeds so bad. You can tell from those commercials. And it, it makes sense. It's a partnership that makes sense. I told you. You got yeah. crazy high to enjoy that food. I told you when I was an Uber driver, I drove somebody who was sort of basically in charge of that ad campaign. And so I told him, I was like, I really appreciate that you guys are just leaning into the weed culture. And she's like, yeah, we snuck a bong into one of the commercials and it aired. <laughs> in one of those commercials, there's like a bong in the back and they, they made it to air. Nice. That's amazing. Nice. The sensors were too hungry. You know what? You know what? You know what? You know you know green. Weed is? Weed. <laughs> Weed. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, gift of the Magi. We just right? made the same joke in reverse order. Jinx. <laughs> what did you call me? <laughs> you owe me a Coke. A green Coke. Mm. Yeah, the stuff one, right? There was that yeah. green Coke, and they were like, it's healthy? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pepper, that's the nectar of the gods. I ain't gonna kill anyone. Mm-mm. It's from a doctor, yeah. True. Yeah, yeah, it's science. It's medical science. <laughs> well, with the with words for colors, there's been a lot of study of like how early a culture develops different words for different colors, because the human eye can see millions of separate distinct colors, but to conceptualize them, we need words. And there was a landmark study by linguists Brent Berlin and Paul Kay in the 1960s, where they initially thought they had found like an order of words for colors. They claimed that across 20 languages, if a language had just two words for colors, it would be for black and white. If there was a third word, it was for red. Then the fourth and fifth words were either for green or yellow in some order. But then they did further studies of more languages, found a bunch of exceptions. And it turns out the upshot is every language and culture varies. Like, some languages have a lot of words for colors, some have very few, and they vary in specifically which ones they bother to name. And Eiffel 65 only has one. Blue, yeah. <laughs> da, dee, da, die. So what is science doing to fix that thing where different cultures only have certain yeah. words? Because I feel like we need to tighten we need that up. One and, monoculture. Yeah, yeah. we just like one world language and government and currency things like that Mili- one it, one military i know i know that's a joke and one of these articles talks about like us globalism kind of pushing 11 words for colors like we <laughs> apparently in the english language and in american culture we tend to have a set of like blue yellow green red purple orange brown and black gray pink and white those tend to be the 11 that are default colors to us and everything else is like a shade of one of those. Perfect. It's a good reminder of how bullshit you were when you first learned about indigo. Right. When people were Roy G. Biven you and then they said indigo and you're like, I need, hold on. I need a minute. <laughs> and then we never talked about it again. Yeah. What was the <laughs> yeah. one between blue and violet? And you're like, it's indigo. And you're like, what color is that? And you're like, it's blue violet. And you're like, <laughs> it's the is bridge. that just not a color? Is that just the blending of the two? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, without it, and it's just Roy G. Boof. Roy, Roy G. Boof, the way it's Roy supposed G- to be. Roy G. Boof. 
those <laughs> that indigo out of there. And then we wouldn't have had the indigo girls. So it's true. Two great things. <laughs> and apparently, one of the biggest ones that other languages have that English doesn't have is that in English we just call light blue and dark blue blue. We just use the word blue essentially for both those colors, and we just say they're shades of one thing. <laughs> the Eiffel 65 dancing has begun. Yeah, they're singing about so many colors uh, in that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they can but, only uh, get one word out. But uh, like a lot of languages, in particular Russian, have separate words for light blue and for dark blue. Like get their entire here. other things. Get them out of here. Wow. <laughs> wow. Is that so they can attack the blue and yellow flag of the precious people yeah. of Ukraine? Typical communist oh, aggression. <laughs> Those <laughs> blue commies. Yeah, they apparently in Russian, Goluboy is the word for light blue, and Sini is the word for dark blue. Yeah, I like our way better. <laughs> and uh, And there are also languages including modern Hebrew and Turkish and a few others that have separate words for the shades of blue that that and both are correct like we're like everybody's just mm-hmm. calling them their word mm-hmm. for it but <laughs> no uh yeah. and yes. then another variation like that happens a bunch with the color green where it turns out many languages use one word for both green and blue they treat green and blue as shades of one color are they just all colorblind <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know we're laughing but that might that be a genetic trait that has occurred in specific groups? Oh, it it could be related. None of my none of my sources made that the reason, but I bet yeah, they, it could be a thing. I bet they checked. I feel like they would check, right? They're like, can you guys see this? <laughs> now those people can't be pilots. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't even think about that, did you, Alex? Well, and it ends. It seems to, at least linguistically, in Pashto, which is a language that's common in northern Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, it's sort of a nature color. They have the word sheen, which can mean both blue and green. And then when they specify it, the phrase Asmani sheen means sheen like the sky, which is blue. And then there's separate words for sheen like the grass or sheen like the leaves, which is green. So it's like a nature blob is that color. It's it's very poetic and dumb as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Seems very unwieldy. Sheen, the color of tiger's blood. <laughs> you guys remember that 11 years ago? It's a Charlie Sheen reference, Alex. Thank oh. you. Thank you. <laughs> winning. I love in that same interview, in that interview when he's like, I'm winning. And then they're like, you have AIDS, right? He's like, totally. <laughs> Everyone's like, are you winning? And we were just like, let's give him a new show. Who are we going to put in that show with him? Lindsay Lohan. Can only go great. <laughs> what must that set have been like? And with, with other words here in the Vietnamese language, there's a word zan that gets further modified to be green or blue. And then, <laughs> then okay, the next thing, the source is Boston University. That's not a bit. Hey, uh, okay. that is next to Fenway. Whatever. <laughs> Red Sox. <laughs> also, go Terriers. So, what do you the, think? You better than me? <laughs> so, Boston University, go Terriers. They uh, they have a reference page for color words in the Kosa language. Uh, Kosa is an official language of South Africa and of Zimbabwe. 
And the Kosa word luklaza means both blue and green. Kosa also has alternate words that separately mean just blue or just green. And some of these languages are in that situation where they have one word that can be either and then separate words for each. Uh, it's all that it's word? all just very different than English. Yeah. Yeah. That word, by the way, indigo. Which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like it just turns out that world languages mentally categorize colors all sorts of different ways. And if if I didn't speak English, this might be a different podcast topic framing, you know, like the whole thing might be going differently. I don't know. Yeah. I think especially the whole podcast if me and might Jeff, be a little bit different. Especially if me and Jeff did speak English and you didn't speak any, this would be a radically different podcast. Some would say better. Not, not, not <laughs> yeah. much, not, not against what you're saying, not, not in any way of your own volition, would it be better? I just feel like from an entertainment perspective, right? What's going on would be the whole show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May for joining me on a journey through not the Irish stuff about this color, right? So many Americans point it that way, and we didn't, because, hey, this week's bonus topic is the surprising origins of green as an Irish national color. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than eight dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring the color green with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, one of the most popular green pigments of all time caused a wave of deaths. Takeaway number two, some modern languages don't have a specific word for green. Plus a humongous numbers section this week. The greens and everything from flags to America to Star Trek and more. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. One way to follow them is checking out the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network. It's one of my favorite audio things. It's run and created and hosted by Adam Todd Brown. And then, fun live show to share, Adam is doing a live episode of Unpops at Caveat in Manhattan in New York City. The website is caveat.nyc, and that live show is Sunday, August 28th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Jeff May is on Unpopular Opinion. He's also on Gamefully Unemployed as co-host of Tom and Jeff Watch Batman. He has his own podcast called Jeff Has Cool Friends. And if you have Netflix, fire up a game show entitled Bullshit, hosted by Howie Mandel. Jeff's a contestant on it. Very funny, very cool. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. And one of them is a book that's come up often on the Color episodes. It's called The Secret Lives of Color by Cassia St. Clair. Used it less than usual this time, but it was part of it. Also relied on scholarship posted at theconversation.com, co-written by Ted Gibson of MIT and Bevel R. Conway of the NIH. Also an amazing piece for the Paris Review by Katie Kelleher, plus the National Park Service, the Smithsonian, the CBC. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. 
Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you'll love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>